the only thing that would make my life more of a soap opera than it already is. Chapter 2, Part 1. I filed for divorce exactly one week after my breakdown. This was the side effect of realizing that I couldn't exist in a state of suspended animation any longer. What's somewhat comical is I came to this conclusion because of the off-and-on communication styles between myself and the mime. I shared my sentiments about this to my then-spouse. I also expressed a necessity to cease any and all contact so I could process all the emotions pertaining to it. I can't help but find the source of this epiphany funny. I still think I made the right decision. After many years of getting lost under the weight of my identity as a wife, I needed to rediscover who I was as myself, by myself, uninterrupted. This has not been an easy path, but as it stands, I don't regret the choices I've made. There's a complex blend of peace and loneliness I'm finding in my current state of solitude. The past year has been one of extremely painful growth, and hopefully I can elaborate further without going too far off the rails. I rang in the new year under quarantine. Obviously, I had nothing but time to get to know myself. On the first day of my isolation, I received a get well card from my estranged spouse. On one hand, it seemed sweet. On the other, it appeared to be a manipulative disregard for the boundaries I was attempting to establish. Here's a brief piece of pertinent history. We had an ongoing inside joke where we never gave cards for the occasion it was being given. Here's an example. Maybe a sympathy card for a birthday or a child's birthday card for Mother's or Father's Day. Things like that. It turned out this card was sent for Christmas. The timing along with the selection was comical at best, absolutely diabolical at worst. I didn't hear from them again for quite a while, but was eventually contacted the week before our first established court date. One of the pets we shared ended up getting sick, and they reached out to solicit advice on what to do about it. And I gave my two cents. Surprisingly, it was followed to the letter. I guess there's a first time for everything, yeah? Unfortunately, he didn't make it. So they had to contend with a deceased, albeit warm, animal. Apparently, he was giving a heating pad to lay on before my ex left for work after the appointment. I ended up loading the remains of our former fur baby into the backseat and accompanying them to the vet to drop off for cremation services. Because of how timelines fell, we ended up spending Valentine's Day together. And this was our last as a married couple, although we had been separated for eight months by this point. What struck me as odd is I was given a gift and a card, despite our current status. The term estranged was definitely applicable at this juncture. I was also given a teary-eyed speech about being their soulmate. This included that regardless of anything that happened or will happen in those moments, I wept fiercely. This all happened after they requested that I delay the following day's court proceedings so they would have time to process everything that was happening. Before I get into the details on my take on all this, let me explain something about myself that may have already started to surface throughout your reading experience. I operate in polarity or extreme opposition. This description applies to many facets of my being. It starts out in my head and eventually flows down into my heart, escaping through my actions. 
when I observe and analyze behavior patterns, potential motivating factors, or any arising problems, I interpret from both a positive and a negative place. The upside is really up, but the downside usually goes into whatever the worst case extreme that's possible. This interprets into actions that are black or white. When I'm in, I'm all in. But when I'm out, I'm done. Like, done, done. It seems at any given time, my heart or my mind is in firm control of my operating system. When my heart's motivating me, it gets me into precarious situations with others. And when my mind is at the helm, I'm sharp, untrusting, and overbearingly guarded. So, the card, the gift, dead pet, and the soulmate talk. Thoughtful gesture, codependent behavior, trying to express what's been buried for upwards of 15 years, or trying desperately to hold on to what's already gone. I'd gander a guess it's all of the above. I got the distinct impression they were hoping to reconnect somehow, some way, in any allowable capacity. I initially expressed that I can only offer friendship, and the message appeared to be understood. I took a weekend trip to see my person around the end of February. The night I arrived, we ended up going out to a couple of local taverns with her old man and having a few drinks. We had a good time, and at some point in the evening, all three of us ended up carpooling to use the bathroom. If I recall correctly, he used the urinal, she used the toilet, and I used the sink. Don't worry, it wasn't a number two. At one point, some random toothless local came up and started talking jeeps with her old man. And she and I made some pretty inappropriate jokes about the whole bit. And she and I even wound up crossing state lines for manicures, pedicures, and some excellent local pizza. We had a Sunday fun day, hopping around the local bars, day drinking too. She and I started out with Bloody Marys at the first place, and we all went to another for some other specials and some grub, and eventually ended up back where we started. By this time, I still hadn't perfected the configuration of drinking on my medications, and I skipped doses on those days. It was not a good idea. Random fun fact. The bar scene can tend to be a place where I don't exactly play well with others. Something about the undesired attention from strangers makes me put up walls and put ice on the old shoulder. I seriously think I might be the only person on the planet that goes to the bar with the sole intention of interacting with the people I went with and lacking any desire to engage with the outside world in the process. There happened to be some random local dude with a similar pattern to his hop. He was trying to be friendly at the first place. By the time he showed up at the second place, I really had no desire for outside communications of any kind. He tried to engage in dialogue with me, and by that point, I just wasn't having it. I'm sure I gave some unenthusiastic, assholeish response and then started to shut down from the overstimulation. Not long afterwards, he started talking about me to the company I arrived with. He might have been like three feet away from me at the time, and I called him on not having the decency to make whatever commentary he had directly to me instead of talking about me like I'm not even there. My person would have described what happened as me having a high-speed come apart. She would have been right. Things quickly escalated from being all in good fun to spiraling out of control. And in the midst of my meltdown, she decided we should call it a night. 
When we got back to her place, her old man attempted to give me a hug for comfort. Wrong move. I flipped out on him, too. The whole gesture I would equate to trying to bathe a feral cat. It was well intended, but one of the few things this up-and-coming generation is being taught that mine and others before me weren't is the concept of respecting personal boundaries, especially pertaining to body autonomy. I'm really not much of a touchy-feely person. And something about a relative stranger attempting to give me physical attention in that kind of scenario always reads like threatening behavior. I don't know where this stems from exactly either. Anyhow, after the fact, it dawned on me that something about this specific style of invalidating behavior gave me a brief flashback from childhood. And the words, I feel like I don't exist, kept playing in my head on a loop thing of it is, the words were in my own voice and they rang out very distant but also felt extremely familiar. It took me having a conversation with one of my brothers and one of my aunts to put the pieces together. After the emotional overload of the whole weekend subsided, I ended up with a much clearer understanding of some of my behavior patterns, personal motivations, and provocations. To summarize, relationship wounds are basically unaddressed childhood trauma. They can creep up in romantic, platonic, and sexual connections. And something about the way this whole thing played out had me playing connect the dots. In the aftermath, it came to me that my hyper-aggressive tendencies over the last few years tended to rear their ugly head when I felt I was being ignored or like I wasn't being listened to. And this was a side effect of feeling perpetually invalidated by my spouse through his dismissive attitude or negating behaviors or statements. I allowed this to play out for as long as I did because it felt familiar. I only wish I had noticed it sooner. The ladies from work ended up throwing me a preliminary party to celebrate my divorce. This was hosted on the evening of my February court date. All of my favorite local ladies were in attendance too, and the whole thing was really nice, One of them even gave me a sash and a tiara for the occasion. I remember she said that she saw ladies in them at the casinos celebrating in a similar fashion. And two former friends that I have since disconnected from were also in attendance. They met me at my house in advance, and the less intellectual of the pair got her car stuck in a large muddy patch behind my house. She was trying to turn her car around in it the day after some pretty heavy rainfall. I got them both a change of shoes and also provided a change of pants to the one who got her car stuck. In the shuffle, I stressed that no muddy shoes or pants are permitted to gaze the floors of my house. I also expressed my frustration about being late to my own shindig on someone else's account. The one that got her car stuck attempted to match my irritation, almost turning it into a passive-aggressive pissing contest about who had a worse day leading up to that point. I tried my best not to engage, but I really don't understand the level of obliviousness or that need for attention. March was uneventful for the most part, outside of my second court date getting on the books. Beware the Ides of March. (laughs) The court date came and went. Unfortunately for me, it was not my last. My estranged spouse didn't understand the assignment in terms of paying court fees returning signed documents, and anything else that needed to be tended to for a smooth finale. They maintained relative radio silence for quite a while after that. 
Our last court date came and went in April. In advance of it, we met up with our settlement documents at the courthouse to ensure another court date couldn't hold things up any longer. I was feeling invigorated to be legally on my own, and I celebrated this milestone by having a steak dinner with my dad and his old lady. I also enjoyed some post-divorce refreshments with an ambitious young go-getter later that night. After all was said and done, my ex materialized to hash out the details. In the process, we had some long overdue conversations. The dialogue was both extremely painful and very cathartic. In it, I got an apology for almost every object of contention that accumulated on my side of the aisle throughout the duration of the relationship. I found it both validating and disgusting. I realized in retrospect that there was no ownership or empathy for helping me carry the load of the household because I allowed that to happen. Remember earlier when I brought up enabling? My role in how this thing played out was enabling them to the point that I was repulsed by and resentful towards them. Only recently have I taken inventory well enough to see that this behavior is ever-present in many of my relationships. I've allowed myself to be surrounded by people who dominate conversations for two reasons. First off, the consistent pattern of being spoken over is a comfortable, familiar carryover from my upbringing. Second, if I let everyone else carry the conversation, I don't have to. If I spend the majority of my social life listening rather than speaking, it allows me to be what they need and to help others, while also maintaining a safe distance by not allowing anyone to get to know me beyond a surface level. This also ties into my abandonment wound. If they need me for something, they won't leave unless they find a more reliable source. Also, if I keep things primarily superficial, it won't hurt as much or as deep if or when they do decide I'm essentially unlovable or not worth the investment. I had some other interesting observations and insights into how and why things played out the way they did in my marriages and some other relationships after I took time to reflect on the events honestly. In a nutshell, my second long-term commitment turned into a culmination of two distinctly different yet still unhealthy relationships in one giant shit show. I'll try to elaborate without certain parts of the story too soon. My spouse's parents were essentially codependent physically and emotionally. There was a very strong enabling dynamic and an undertone of subservience on the part of the wife. The dad appeared to rely on mom for functions of a serving type nature and she consistently obliged. In my household, my mom was miserable. She was also responsible for everything, and dad was basically there as a financial figurehead, minimally involved at best when he was around. Eventually, he split, so I didn't get the opportunity to see how that energy would transpire into adulthood. I actually spent a good portion of the last half of last year in the company of my former spouse. And to be frank, it was easy to fall back into those old patterns and habits. The major difference this time compared to pre-divorce was the amount of open dialogue. The thing I noticed is when you have nothing left to lose, there's really no reason to hold back anymore. Everything we were attempting to protect in all the wrong ways was gone. And we talked in depth about many contentious topics we had previously never addressed as a couple. Or if we had, things might have turned into a nuclear warfare. 
At one point, each of us was involved with someone we knew from our lives before we were ever introduced. And we spoke openly about our significant others, almost like high school girlfriends. Neither of those panned out. I know each of them were negatively impacted by our current involvement with each other and marital ghosts, childhood trauma, and emotional immaturity on the parts of all parties involved. We talked fashion and footwear and whatever else you could think of. One night, we even went out to a karaoke bar, and I got to see my ex perform. This turned out to be an extremely overstimulating evening. On multiple occasions, the abnormality of our developing relationship came up in the context of conversation, and I had a pretty consistent response. When it came up, I would express that I didn't necessarily think it was a bad thing to develop the level of closeness we were establishing, but that a large part of me felt it was much too soon after everything had happened, and I told them the wounds were too fresh in my opinion, that I couldn't speak for them, but I felt I really needed to process everything that had happened and to grieve the loss of the relationship we had along with all the expectations, hopes, and dreams attached to it that were left unattained or unfulfilled. And I meant this every time I said it. I didn't realize how much I needed that until I saw legitimate potential with my current partner. When I first realized the depths of feelings I was developing for him, it brought me to tears. There was a large part of me that felt very deeply that what I was doing with this other person was essentially an act of betrayal towards the husband that I lost. And those moments were very bittersweet, among other things. This divorce was very different from my first in many ways. In the end, some days I felt more like a widow than a divorcee. And it's really hard to explain, but for all intents and purposes, it felt like my husband was dead. And instead of doing all the traditional things people do to grieve that caliber of a loss, I buried all those things in the moments that what we built was burning. <laughs>